This presentation is brought to you by the Friends of the Amazing Facts Ministry. God gives you enough grace to deal with the problems of today. There are problems in life. God uses troubles to teach us and to test us. Uh, it's a very uh, common topic in the Bible to address the anxiety and concern that people have. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, got right into it. He said in chapter 6 of Matthew, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. He commands us not to worry. Worry wears away the life forces. Worry robs us of our joy. Someone once said, Worry brings tomorrow's difficulties into today. God doesn't give you grace for tomorrow's difficulties. He only gives you grace for today. Wor worry does not take the sorrow out of tomorrow. It only takes tomorrow's sorrow and brings it today and it then less prepares you to deal with tomorrow's sorrow. And so um, it's debilitating. You know, I was reading uh, in the news not long ago, many of us here in Northern California remember last year there was a terrible fire in Oakland. And um, 36 people perished in that fire in the warehouse in Oakland. Um, the authorities later determined that it was probably due to what they called an overloaded circuit. They had too many things plugged into a breaker that was only designed to handle so many amps. And because they did this, some wires heated up, they shorted out, they caught on fire, the fire spread, there was only one exit downstairs, most people were trapped upstairs and died from the smoke inhalation and a lot of death and damage was caused by an overloaded circuit. When you spend all your time worrying about things for tomorrow and the week after and the month after that and you just pile one on top of the other, you overload your truck, you blow out the tires, you overload your circuits and it fries and God didn't design us this way. That's why Jesus said in his discourse about worry, he said, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Now that's kind of the old English way of saying God gives you enough grace to deal with the problems of today. There are problems in life. The Bible's pretty clear about that. Um, God uses troubles to teach us and to test us. You can read in the book of Job chapter 5 verse 7, yet man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. <laughs> We're going to have problems in life. And in Acts 14.22, Paul said, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and he said, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Uh, tribulations is related to the word trouble. It's through trouble we enter the kingdom. There's going to be trouble, there's going to be problems, but God does not want you to worry about these troubles. He wants us to learn to trust through the troubles. So often in the Bible the children of Israel came to a point where it looked like it was hopeless. They'd be at the borders of the Red Sea. They'd have mountains on both sides, an ocean in front, and an army of angry Egyptians charging down on them. They weren't armed. And they started to cry out and worry. What do we do? You know what God told them? Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. 
God allowed the trouble to come that they might develop trust. In Deuteronomy 33:25, the promise is, Your sandals will be iron. That sounds uncomfortable, but I'll explain. And bronze. As your days, so shall your strength be. Meaning that they won't wear out. You know, for the 40 years they were in the wilderness, God said, your shoes didn't wear out. Your clothes didn't wear out. He said, as your days, so shall your strength be. God is not going to give you Herculean strength for today that you really don't need until tomorrow. When the challenge comes, He gives you the strength. People have asked me, Pastor Doug, do you think you've got enough faith? You've probably wondered this yourself. If we get tortured for our faith, do you have enough faith where you would not deny Jesus in the face of torture? And my answer would be, not today I don't. But I hope that when that day comes, I will. <laughs> and so I'm not going to worry about that now. Because as your day, so will your strength be. You're not to say, Lord, give me this month my monthly bread. You say, give me this day my daily bread. Now, when God tells you not to worry, it doesn't mean that you're not to plan. But a lot of things we worry about, we don't ever have to deal with. Somebody did a study about the average person and what they worry about. They found that 40% of what people worry about never happens. Reminds me of that lady that was always telling people, don't tell me worry doesn't do any good. The things I worry about never happen. <laughs> she thought that's because she worried about them. 40% of what people worry about never happens. 30% of what people worry about has already happened and you can't do anything about it. Have you ever spent time worrying about regrets? Or you come away from a difficult conversation you keep thinking about what you should have said? I've done that. Or you've made bad decisions and you just keep rehashing it and then you know every now and then the Lord says, you can't change it. It's in the past. But we still worry about things it's too late. Spend time in regret. 12% worry about what others say about them. and You can't really change much about that. 10% worry deals with your health. And of course worrying about your health can always make your health worse. That means that leaves about 8% of things that are worth consideration. Most of what we worry about is really a big waste of time. Now when the Bible says, do not worry about your life. Jesus said, do not worry about your life. That's a command. That doesn't mean don't ever think or plan. He's not asking us to just kind of go skipping idiotically through life without a care in the world, not worried about anything and, and being irresponsible. God does want you to think. And there are scriptures that talk to us about planning. Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty leads to poverty. You should plan. Proverbs 11.14, where there's no counsel, the people fail. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And Jesus said, which of you intending to build a tower doesn't sit down first and count the cost? There needs to be planning in life. God is practical in that way. There's a difference between being aware that there's a problem and worrying about the problem. Stressing and being anxious and fretting and wringing your hands and losing sleep we need to know how to commit our troubles to the Lord. I heard about a man that uh, came out from this office building in Chicago and a policeman was writing him a ticket for double parking. He said, what in the world possessed you to make you do this? The man said, well, whenever I go to the dentist, I always double park because it gives me something to think about. 
I worry about getting a ticket and I don't think about the drill. It's a diversion. Now, you might be wondering, Pastor Doug, are you saying that worrying is a sin? Well, it can be. I mean, whenever Jesus says, Thou shalt not worry, and you worry, you wonder, well, is it a sin? Well, first of all, Romans 14, 23 says, Whatever is not from faith is sin. And so if we're spending a lot of time worrying about things, it means you don't trust that there's a God who can help you. Hebrews 11:6. Without faith it's impossible to please Him, for he that comes to God must believe that He is, and He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. In one sense, when we worry, we make ourselves God. And that's idolatry. As though we have power to change our circumstances. It's like this man that was walking around New York City clapping his hands over his head. And someone finally asked him, why do you do that? He said, it keeps the lions away. He said, it keeps the lions away? There haven't been any mountain lions in New York City for 150 years. He said, effective, isn't it? <laughs> someone once said, a day of worry is more exhausting than a day of work. Luke 12, 29. Do not seek what you shall eat or what you shall drink or have an anxious mind. He's not saying don't think about it, but don't be anxious about it. For all these things the nations of the world seek after. Jesus is saying, you're no different than the unbelievers if you just worry all the time about these things. God will take care of you. Your Father knows you need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God, and these things shall be added. I remember talking to a, a dear friend of mine, a builder, and he went up to Alaska during a building boom and was doing very well and then the bottom fell out and it hit hard and they were overextended and just almost overnight they had no money, they had the house payments, they had nowhere to go and this family was totally out of food but they were Christians, had three kids. And uh, they said, look, the Lord knows that we need food. He's promised He will not let us go hungry. We read it right here in the Word that uh, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give to those that ask? They said, let's ask Jesus. So with the three kids, they said, we need to teach the kids faith. We don't know where God's going to get us the food, but they knelt down and they prayed. They told me the story. And they said, while they're on their knees praying for food, the doorbell rings. It was a neighbor who worked for an airline she said, because of the weather, the flight was canceled. They've got all this food for the flight. Could you guys use any? All these pre-prepared meals. They said, we ate all this airline food that day. For several days, they gave them all these trays. But what do you think they did for the kids' faith? When they saw their parents, they were praying for food, and the doorbell rings, and there's food. I've had the Lord do that for me. And just miracles. So God will provide your basics. He sent the apostles out and he said, when you go, don't take food, don't take a purse. Don't take your credit card. He didn't say that, but that was a concept. So don't take an extra staff. He said, you go, you trust me. Whatever house you enter, pray the blessing on the house. Hopefully they'll take care of you. And that was, you know, part of their, the um, hospitality back then. So worry contradicts your witness. Oswald Chambers said, worry is an, in, in, uh, an indication that we think God can't look after us. There are a lot of people who worry about what they don't have, but then there are a lot of people that worry about what they do have. We know there are people who worry that they don't have enough, but you know there's a lot of people out there that worry because they have too much. 
I think it was Ben Franklin that said abundance destroys more people than want. So you can worry both ways. Don't go anywhere friends. In just a moment we're going to continue with the rest of today's presentation. Have you ever wondered why a loving God would allow you to experience various trials, sickness, the death of a loved one, a divorce, or losing a job? It's never pleasant to go through these challenging times. So why does God allow us to experience these trials? Understanding this question can change your life. That's why Amazing Facts would like to send you this special gift called The Brook Dried Up. This insightful and inspiring little book will give you dependable Bible answers about the reasons God allows us to experience trials. Reading this book will strengthen your faith and help prepare you to face any crisis in your life. To get your free copy, call the number on your screen and ask for offer number 171 or visit the web address. And after you read this incredible resource, make sure and share it with a friend. Well, now let's get back to the rest of today's presentation and learn some more amazing facts from the Word of God. They've been uh, having this uh, fad called Tiny Living. Any of you ever seen some of this? And, uh, you know, there, people are saying, you know, we need to, because of the environment, we, we produce too much carbon and we need to reduce our carbon footprint, so we need to start living smaller. Part of the reason for that is, I don't know if you know the statistics, but in the last 45 years, from 1973, the average American new home has gone up 1,000 square feet, yet during that same 45 years, the number of people in the house has gone down from 3.1 people to 2.5 people, so we've got fewer people in bigger houses than ever, and those houses are full of stuff too. Isn't that right? How many of you drive down the neighborhood and you know your friends have a two-car garage but both cars are parked outside? <laughs> no, our, we, we got our cars in our garage. I'm just saying, do you know? Have you seen that? Jesus said a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. I think it's so funny though. You watch these uh, people say, you know, we, we want to reduce our carbon footprint and we're going we're gonna to go into a tiny house. And so they'll show this program about how they build and design this tiny house and, and it does all these, they do everything they can to save space and they're very creative. And I sometimes have been next to Karen <laughs> and it just cracks me up every time because when they first show them their new tiny house and they go in they say, boy this is really small. <laughs> That's what you said you wanted. <laughs> There's a law of life. You will fill whatever space you have. Move into a bigger house, wait a few years, watch what happens. You will fill whatever space you have and if you live in America you may rent extra space to store your stuff. And then you have to worry about your stuff. And you can't go on a mission trip because who's going to take care of your stuff? Am I right? You can become a prisoner to your stuff. And you spend your weekends, you could be visiting with your neighbors and giving Bible studies, oiling and maintaining your stuff and mowing your stuff. It got really quiet all of a sudden. <laughs> Luke 8, 14. Jesus said, Now some of the seed fell among the thorns are those who have, when they heard the word of God, they go out and they are choked with cares and riches. 
Remember, we studied what the word worry means. It comes from the word worgen. It's an ancient word. It means to choke, to strangle. And sometimes the truth is strangled in our lives by worries and concern. 1 Timothy 6. Now godliness with contentment is a great gain. If we can be content and satisfied with a little bit, then everything else is a plus. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can take nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we should be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, snare, and many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Notice that word drown. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money's not evil, but the love of it is. For which some have strayed from the faith in greediness, and then pierced themselves through with many sorrows. In spite of all the other problems that can come with that abundance, there's many sorrows that pierce them. Plain old worry. You know, I hope you'll forgive me for quoting from a secular song, but there was an old uh, hippie song Chris Christopherson wrote called Me and Bobby McGee. And there's a line in there that says, Freedom is another word for nothing left to lose. And in some ways that's true. I remember just picking up my backpack and saying, I wonder what state I'll go to today. Karen and I met a fellow when we were uh, scuba diving in Hawaii a couple weeks ago. And he said, he says, when I travel, I don't take anything with me. The airlines are loose. He says, I got a little handbag and I just go from country. And he said, I, I may, he got a pass. I, you don't think you can do it anymore, but he was telling us he got a pass on this airline, you can go anywhere in the world, the airline flew. It was a world pass. You had to do it within a year. And he'd go from one country to another, he'd just take his toothbrush and a few things and he'd go wherever he wanted. He'd, he was a very successful photographer, he'd worked there. And I just thought, I kind of, I, I envied the, uh, the freedom with which he would travel around the world. He tells about all these exotic places that he went to and said, no, I don't take anything with me. I, when I get there, you can buy food there. You can buy clothes there. So then I don't have to worry about anything. Anyway, I just, uh, well, I'll try that. Let me know. <laughs> People think happiness is going to come from more. It's not true. More things do not make you more valuable. That's one myth. Another myth is that more things will make you more popular. They'll just make people envy you. More things will make you more secure. More things will bring more contentment. Usually if you're not content with what you have, more will not bring you more contentment because you'll discover there's something you don't have and then you'll be discontent. Or your neighbor will have something you don't have. First Timothy 6, 8, having food and clothing with these we shall be content. Second Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to make all grace abound towards you that always having all sufficiency in all things. You notice how many alls there are? you may have an abundance for every good work. God is able to give you what you need to do His work. God is not going to send you out into the world to do His work and not supply what you need to do the work. God knows the things that you need. Now, having said all that about not worrying, <clears throat> is there a time you should worry? Yeah. Everything that God said about the promises and not having to worry, He's saying to those who have accepted Him. If you've not accepted him, you should worry. You've really got something to worry about. Hebrews 10, 26, For if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, 
there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful expectation, isn't that worry? Of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. If you are turning your back on God and you are refusing to follow God, then I hope you don't have peace. Why would you want someone to be comfortable on their way to destruction? So there is a time to worry. The Bible says in Isaiah 48, 22, there is no peace to the wicked. He says it actually twice in his prophecy. Revelation 16, 11, speaking of the lost, they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pain and their sores and they did not repent of their deeds. They had something to worry about. But for believers, we live by faith. It's a whole different world view. You know the story about... Uh, Peter walking on the water. He's surrounded by a storm and as long as he had his eyes on Jesus he was able to do the impossible. You can have peace in the midst of a storm. Christ was sleeping in a boat. The disciples woke him up afraid. He said, why are you afraid? Where is your faith? He said, you shouldn't even worry about this. And now Peter's walking on the water. He's looking at Jesus in the storm and then he takes his eyes off Jesus. He starts to sink when he stopped looking at Jesus and he started looking at the waves and the wind he started to worry. If you look at the problem and you don't look at the Lord you will probably lose faith. The reason David was able to kill Goliath is he did not look at how tall Goliath was. He looked at how big God was. John Wesley was walking one time with a friend who was just fretting and worrying about everything and as they're walking along Wesley looked over into the field next to the road and he saw there was a cow looking over the wall, stone wall. And he said to his friend, do you know why that cow's looking over the wall? His friend said, no. And Wesley said, because he can't see through the wall. He said, you're trying to look through your problems. You need to look over your problems. Someone said, you should start every day by opening the window of heaven and say, Lord, I'm yours today. And uh, my problems are your problems because I'm your child. Will he take care of you? So Peter took his eyes off Jesus. Jesus said, why did you doubt? Why did you look at the waves and the wind? The Bible tells us if we fix our eyes upon Jesus, this is Hebrews chapter 12, it says, therefore seeing we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin. Sometimes we worry about our sins, right? Let us lay aside the weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. And let us run that race with endurance, looking unto Jesus. In the original it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The reason we worry is we take our eyes off Jesus and we look at the wind and the waves. And we look at the problems. Again, it doesn't mean you're to go through life oblivious that there are issues, but make sure that your faith is hanging on Christ. So what's the answer for worry? Paul and Silas were in prison. And even though they had all kinds of reason to worry, I mean, they're in prison. They don't know how long they're in prison. They've just been beaten. But in the midst of their prison cell, they turn to God. They claim the promises of God. They start to sing. Have you ever tried to sing a happy song when you're feeling worried? either you're going to get mad at the song <laughs> or it'll start changing your attitude. Uh, Solomon said, you know, when someone sings to a sad heart it's like vinegar. And, um, but you know, if you start singing and praising God, the songs can actually bring you out of it. That's what Paul and Silas did. And you know what? Did their situation change when they started to sing? 
earthquake, chains broke, doors opened when they started to sing. Their problem disappeared that quick. I mean who would have said God's going to send an earthquake and solve my problem? Usually earthquakes cause problems, right? Of course the Bible says the answer is seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. Whether you have too little or too much, God will take care of you and your problems if you seek first His kingdom. If we turn our eyes on Jesus, is God worried? Is He worried about your problems? If you're His child and if He's not worried, then why are you worried? I remember hearing about a businessman got on an airplane one time and and then uh, one of the last they brought on the plane was this young seven or eight year old boy that unfortunately was traveling between two divorced parents. First time he had had to do this and the first time he had ever flown. And the flight attendant buckled him in next to this businessman and the businessman could tell the young guy was very nervous. Maybe not just about being alone but even about flying. And as the plane was taxiing and their engines began to roar before takeoff he saw the little fellow's hands were on the armrests and they, his knuckles were white. And the man looked down at the boy and said, this is my favorite part. Isn't this fun? I looked and he saw the man smiling and showing so much excitement he thought, oh yeah, this is fun. He relaxed immediately. <laughs> if you're traveling with your heavenly father and he's not worried, why are you worried? He's got control. You don't have control. So do what you can to be practical and then cast your cares on the Lord because He cares for you. Amen? Don't forget to request today's life-changing free resource. Not only can you receive this free gift in the mail, you can download a digital copy straight to your computer or mobile device. To get your digital copy of today's free gift, simply text the keyword on your screen to 40544 or visit the web address shown on your screen. And be sure to select the digital download option on the request page. It's now easier than ever for you to study God's Word with amazing facts wherever and whenever you want. And most important, to share it with others. Did you know that Noah was present at the birth of Abraham? Okay, maybe he wasn't in the room, but he was alive and probably telling stories about his floating zoo. From the creation of the world to the last day events of Revelation, BibleHistory.com is a free resource where you can explore major Bible events and characters, enhance your knowledge of the Bible, and draw closer to God's Word. Go deeper. Visit BibleHistory.com. If you could know the future, what would you do? What would you change? To see the future, you must understand the past. Alexander the Great becomes king when he's only 18, but he's a military prodigy. 150 years in advance, Cyrus had been named. Rome was violent. They were ruthless. They were determined. This intriguing documentary, hosted by Pastor Doug Batchelor, explores the most striking Bible prophecies that have been dramatically fulfilled throughout history. Kingdoms in Time.
Are you ready? Don't forget to request today's free offer. It's sure to be a blessing. And thank you for your continued support as we take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. We hope you'll join us next week as we delve deep into the Word of God to explore more amazing facts. This presentation was brought to you by the Friends of the Amazing Facts Ministry.